Good morning, Tri-Valley. Good to see you all. Uh, my name is Jacob. I'm the preaching minister around these parts. Continue on in our January-February series called The Liturgy of the Ordinary. We are attaching spiritual significance to everyday practices, things that you will recognize and say, hmm, you know what? We realize spiritual formation happens on a daily basis, not just when we gather together for worship. So how can we be reminded about the truths of God or some spiritual disciplines as we go throughout our average day? Does anybody remember what the thing was last or two weeks ago? We said, it starts with, how do you start your day? You wake up and we are reminded that we are loved by God even before we have done anything. Last week, we talked about, who remembers? Making your bed. Did anybody become a bed maker over the last week? Ah, a couple. All right. A couple converts to the cause. Well, we said that the point is not make your bed versus don't make your bed, but reminding yourself that these daily habits that we have, they matter. They add up to something. Like a spiritual discipline, if you do it day after day, week after week, month after month, it uh, produces growth, forms you in a certain way. And if we don't, if we're not intentional with our spiritual formation habits, then the world will form us, will be conformed to the patterns of this world uh, unknowingly. So that's what we talked about last week. This week, we are going to talk about another very common, very uh, familiar daily habit that you will recognize. We're going kind of throughout the average day in this series, and honestly, by the end of today, we'll have not even made it downstairs yet. It's all kind of stuff that happens early on in the day. To share with you what this one is, I want to show you a clip from a popular series that's come out in the last couple years called The Chosen. Nod your head if you've heard of The Chosen or if you've seen The Chosen. If you're not familiar with it, it's a depiction of the followers of Jesus. When Jesus began his ministry and he called Peter and Andrew and John and, and Mary and all the, the, the crew, it's the stories of their lives and encountering Jesus. And it's our family's been watching it. We really enjoy it. There are three seasons in. I think season four is coming out next month, so check it out if you haven't. But I want to show you a short clip from the life of Jesus that's going to introduce us to the daily habit that will point us to Jesus. Uh, Joseph and Claire, go ahead and show that video clip. How much longer are you going to stay here? Until it is time for me to go. When's that? Well, I have some work to do here and some people to meet. Some of you are surprised that it's over. You were listening for what Jesus was talking about. Pay more attention to what Jesus is doing. Jojo and Claire, hit that one one more time. How much longer are you going to stay here? Until it is time for me to go. When's that? Well, I have some work to do here. And some people to meet. What is Jesus doing? He's, He's brushing, brushing his, his teeth. The Chosen, again, is a fantastic series. You'll be reminded of all of these great gospel stories and teachings of Jesus. It puts it in its context and historical light. Like, it's really, really valuable. But this scene stuck out to me because it reminds us that Jesus was not just white robe, clean guy floating on air, looking like one of those Halloween ghosts and dispensing wisdom and glowing at all times. Jesus was what? God in a bod. He was a human person. 
and he lived among us, he experienced life, and most likely, he brushed his teeth. I'm not going to do the thing that we've done the last two weeks, which is turn to the person next to you and confess whether or not you brush your teeth, or uh, how well or thoroughly you brush your teeth. I will tell you a story, though, when Lisa and I lived in New Jersey, when we first got married, I went to see this dentist, and she was very memorable, because most dentists that I see are either, Jacob, have you been flossing? And I go, uh, sometimes I floss on popcorn night, but I'm not consistent with my flossing. And I would always hate having to go to the dentist and be laying there in the chair with the bright light interrogating you in your face and have to admit, no, I have not been flossing to your expectations of me. I've noticed the dentist we see here in Livermore almost never asks, and I'm wondering if that has shifted. They've realized they like drive people away, so it's like, let's not shame people and ask them about whether or not they floss. It's almost now I wish they would ask more because I need that reminder. I want the professional to say, don't forget, it's important to floss. Like, yeah, yeah, okay, you're right. So somewhere in between is maybe where we'd like to live. But this dentist in New Jersey was different than any other dentist I had because I think she said something about... I've noticed you probably haven't been flossing very much. And I said, yeah, I haven't. I probably should. I said, what, what's the appropriate amount of flossing? And her response was, I don't care whether or not you floss. And I said, that's strange coming from a, a dental professional. I would think you would have some kind of opinion. I said, really? That's, that's surprising. She's like, yeah, if you don't floss, then like your teeth get messed up and you have to come here and that's more business for me. So it's up to you. And I said, I was taken aback by this and surprised. Uh, I said, well, I was trying to get an answer to my question. Like, what's the right amount of flossing? I said, well, how much do you tell your kids to floss their teeth? And she goes, I mean, I say the same thing I say to them, to you. Because if their teeth get messed up, I fix them for free. And so it's no skin off my nose. I was like, wow, this is strange. I was remembering that incident as I was considering this practice of brushing your teeth, and how it points us to Jesus, because something she said, I think, resonates with a lot of the messages we get today outside of the church. And that is, ready? The body doesn't matter. You'll hear that message a lot of different ways. My dentist, I said, does it matter how much I floss? And she says, no, it doesn't matter. To me, it doesn't matter. Huh. It's a little strange. Nowadays, we hear a lot of messages in our culture that go to one extreme or the other with how we're supposed to use our bodies, how we're supposed to see our bodies and take care of our bodies. They usually are one extreme or another. Some people will say the body is nothing. It doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want with it. It's all going to like burn and go away anyway, so enjoy it. Have fun with it. This reflects a very uh, Gnostic way of thinking in the first century, that was one of the biggest opponents of Christian thought, was the Gnostic view that your body is this, and your real self is somewhere here. It's in your your thought world. It's who you say you are. It's who you think you are. And the goal is to escape the confines, the ickiness, the weirdness of your cumbersome bodies, and to escape to this higher understanding of who I truly am. If you read the New Testament, that's a theme that comes up again and again and again. And we'll see how Paul addresses this in just a moment. But that's one extreme. The body doesn't matter. The other extreme that you'll often hear is that the body is everything. Your body, how people see you, how you groom yourself, how well you take care of yourself, is everything 
that matters. This is reflected in our world's standards of beauty and fitness, our quest for long life, as long as possible, no wrinkles. Those are shameful, right? You got to get rid of those wrinkles. Make your face look smooth and young. You've seen this. This is everywhere. Those are two extremes. The body doesn't matter. The body really matters and maybe is the only thing that matters. But what you'll find Scripture teaching us and the way of Jesus is somewhere in between or something different altogether. Christianity says the body does matter, but it's not the only thing. It's foolish to say it doesn't matter because your, your soul, yourself, your spirit is entwined with your body. And the incarnation of Jesus is the best demonstration of that. And that's why the image, the picture that we showed of Jesus brushing, cleaning his teeth is an important image for us to see. Jesus ate, and Jesus traveled, and Jesus slept, and Jesus had B.O., and Jesus had to go to the bathroom, and Jesus cried, and Jesus bled, because Jesus was a human being and experienced the human experience. And if the body wasn't good, if the way we are created by our Creator was not good, then I don't think God would have become flesh. He would not have been veiled in flesh. The incarnate deity would not have happened. But it affirms the goodness of what God says in Genesis chapter 1. God created men and women and said, man, that's good. Of all the things I created, that's probably the best thing that I have made. And I mentioned earlier, John 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In just a few minutes, we're going to sing the song, In Christ Alone. And I want you to pay attention to the line that says, In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in a helpless babe, and a human man who lived and walked and talked and taught among us. At the resurrection of Jesus, you see him doing these bodily things. Even after Jesus was raised from the dead, he was not a ghost. He was not floating around, something you could not touch or experience. We see that Jesus ate fish on a beach. And Jesus had one of his apostles named Thomas who said, I don't believe that it's true. The other apostles had witnessed the risen Jesus. And we talked with him. We saw him. Thomas says, I think that's unlikely. Unless I can see it with my own eyes and touch Jesus with my own hands, then, only then will I believe. Smash cut to Jesus showing up and saying, all right, here's the holes where the nails pierced me and hung me to the cross. Look at my feet. Look at my side. Touch it if you want to. Thomas, stop doubting and believe that it is true. The resurrected Jesus was a bodily Jesus. And Christian theology flies in the face of a worldly philosophy that dishonors the body. The problem today, it's a message that we keep hearing if we don't remind ourselves of what God says is true, but it was a problem in the first century as well. Sooner or later, I'm going to do a sermon series based on the book of 1 Corinthians because uh, it's kind of like a drama church. It's, it's, it's almost like watching a, a Real Housewives show on TV. It's just people who can make as many mistakes as they can make, and you're just watching going like, oh man, those lives are messed up. I'm, not, I'm glad I'm not as messed up as those guys. 1 Corinthians is a wonderful book, but it is a letter written to a church that was getting it wrong in so many different ways. And one of the ways that they were getting it wrong is, like I said, they were believing in this Gnostic philosophy that says, ah, the body doesn't matter. It's not important. Paul comes along and says, it's very important. 
what you do with your body. Because what you do with your body is connected to how you're formed in Christ. What affects your body affects your soul, as much as we try to believe it doesn't. Listen to what Paul says to the church. He's quoting them, pointing out some things that he's heard them saying or has been reported that they've said. I have the right to do anything, you say. But he tells them, not everything is beneficial. Well, I have the right to do anything. Paul reminds them, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, oh, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? That's important. So, shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And here's the advice. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples? of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Like I said, there are a lot of specific problems and specific instances and sins that the Corinthian church people were involved in. Maybe just bad habits left over from before they knew Christ that Paul is specifically addressing. I don't expect that many people from our congregation are struggling with being involved in meeting with prostitutes and sexual sins of those kinds. But the core problem here is this separation of body and soul, body and spirit. And now you might be thinking in your mind about certain passages that you've heard or certain theologies that we've picked up along the way that say like, no, I'm pretty sure that what happens when I die or what happens at the return of Christ is the earth is no more and our bodies don't matter and they float away and we our souls will be raised into the heavens somewhere far, far away. I may have talked about this before, but we love to sing the song, I'll Fly Away. Uh, it reminds us and gives us hope that there's a world beyond this, and that's true. But we often forget that it is a world with a body. That just as Jesus was raised, a bodily resurrection, God does not intend to destroy his creation. God intends to redeem his creation. Lots of New Testament passages that point to that. This is what Paul thought. This is what we see in Revelation when the heaven becomes reunited with earth. It was separated in the sin in the garden, but it was, they become reunited. And eternity is a city. Eternity is a place where people have bodies. Not the bodies like the ones that we have. That's uh, a little hard to imagine for us. But there's work to be done. We don't just float around and enjoy the nice scented atmosphere, um, and that's hard for some of us to remind ourselves of. And you may think, I don't know what's going to happen when I die, Jacob. I know that God's going to take care of me. Amen. That's true. It's going to be different than it is now. 100%. Amen. That is true. But when we take on this Gnostic worldview that our bodies don't matter, then the ordinary ways that we can be formed every day are often overlooked. And our faith often only exists in the thought realm and not in the actual experiences of life. 
I was talking with an educator the other day. We were having coffee, and he was telling me, hey, I'm trying to get these high school students to graduate, uh, but they're credit deficient. They have different things have happened in their lives, maybe you know, family tragedies, or they moved, or maybe they were uh, got in trouble or got expelled from a school. So I'm working with them, and I'm trying to get them to over the finish line. And I, he said, I work with this one student who just keeps saying, I want to graduate, I want to graduate, I want to graduate. He says, okay, so, well, let's work together then. Let's give you some reduced credit load. Great, cool, but you have to do the work. You have to do the packets that we give you. Okay, sure, here, I want to graduate. Okay, do the packet. Did you do the packet? Well, no, I didn't do the packet. Okay, well, you need to do the packet. We're, we're, we're lowering the bar for you. We're trying to make it a little easier, but yeah, you also have to show up to class because you have to get the credits that we're changing it for. Did you show up for class? Because this says you haven't been showing up for class. Yeah, I haven't been showing up for class. It's, it's hard for me to get there, and I'm not doing the work. And This conversation led to this educator telling me the student was saying, I want to graduate. My, in my mind, I'm going to graduate. This is my goal, but all of the actions he was seeing said, I, I don't care whether or not I graduate. I'm not willing to do the work or whatever it is. And that reminds us what we do with our bodies reveals what we really believe. We talked about this a little bit last week. There's a quote from the book, uh, The Liturgy of the Ordinary, where uh, the author says, if the church doesn't teach people what their bodies are for, then our culture certainly will. I think that is very true. I think maybe we've missed the mark in church by not talking about some of these things that make us a little shy. Like, ah, that's not something you want to talk about in church, like body stuff or prostitutes or sexual immorality or just, you know, the, the things that we, we do and that we're familiar with, but somehow we think when we go to church, we got to talk on the idea level, on the, the, the goal level, and forget the fact that we're bodily creatures. What we do with our bodies forms us spiritually. If the church doesn't teach people what their bodies are for, our culture certainly will. One of the main problems that this view that the body is everything teaches us is that we should compare ourselves to others. We uh, are on this never-ending quest to look a certain way, to be as good or better than this person along the way. And we forget sometimes that God made us in a certain way. Do you look the way you look because God said, this is how you're going to look. It doesn't have to be the same as this person. I don't know where you got the idea that there's some kind of like, this person is better because of how much hair they have. This person is better because they have this amount of wrinkles and not this amount of wrinkles. I wonder, since we're talking real talk about our bodies, I wonder what you think when you look at yourself in the mirror. For those of you joining us online, somebody said, it's scary. <laughs> I can relate to that. I think back on my 42 years of life, there's times I looked in the mirror and said like, all right, we got something we can work with here. And there's been times when it's like, what happened? This is not what I was aiming for. In my social media feed, I don't know if I talk about fitness or lack of fitness too much, but somehow the algorithm got me, I'm getting all of these advertisements for like men over 40 fitness, and I'm seeing all these videos and infographics about men my age just doing sit-ups until they have like rock-hard abs, and I'm like, 
I don't know that I need to be like a super jacked grandpa. Maybe that's not what God created me to be. But whatever you think of when you look in the mirror, I wonder if you're hearing what God says about you or if you're hearing what someone else says about you. I wonder if we're believing lies that do not come from God about who we are, how we're seen, what we do with our bodies. My hope is that you get up in the morning and you go to the mirror for one reason or another, but hopefully you brush your teeth (laughs) relatively soon as you start your day. Or as my New Jersey dentist would say, doesn't matter, do whatever you want. When you look in the mirror, and brushing your teeth is a good place to see that, I want you to be reminded that you are loved. That you are known by God and that God says you are good. That doesn't mean that everything you do or fail to do to care for your body or to to do with your body is good. We can still make mistakes. We can still fall short. But there's hope and there's restoration in Christ because of that. But just like when we wake up in the morning and we're reminded, ah, God sees us and says, I'm well pleased with this child of mine because I know them. I can't wait to spend the day with them. When we look in the mirror, whatever lies, thoughts that come from culture run through our head, I want us to start by thinking, and we're good because God says so. And I'm going to use my body for good. And I'm not going to use it to try to strive for some expectation or ideal that maybe I shouldn't have ever had in the first place. God gave me this body. I'm going to take it places where I can bless people. I'm going to use my mouth, my voice, my words, and my working brain to tell others how much they're loved by God. I can use my hands to serve, to write letters of encouragement to people. I can take my body away from the hustle and bustle of life and just be still in the presence of God and let him speak through his Holy Spirit. Maybe I'll hear a word from the Lord. Or maybe that will form me in a way that doesn't believe the lies of the world that you have to produce. You have to always have something to show for your day. That you have to stay busy. Account for every moment in your life. Maybe Jesus was on to something with how he used his body. That's kind of where brushing our teeth brings us this morning. Is this reminder in the mirror that God loves us and God thinks that we are good. And if you don't believe me, start at the beginning of the Bible and start reading. You won't have to get very far before you see just the love of God. To remind us of this, I uh, went ahead and got a bunch of dry erase markers. And I put a box of them out in the foyer. And I want you to take one home with you when you leave today. And I want you to take your dry erase marker wherever you see yourself in the mirror, in the bathroom, or when you're brushing your teeth, I want you to write the word good on your mirror. I want you to write the word loved on your mirror because that's an important thing to be reminded of. And if you begin your day, don't forget to brush your teeth. Remind yourself that you are loved and that God says you are good. How will that shape the rest of your day when you do go downstairs? Extra credit if you do that with a permanent marker. But uh, that's up to you. I'm not going to do that. I get in trouble if I did. I don't know. Maybe I should, though. Maybe I should. Uh, but we'll start with the dry erase. So grab one of these on your way out. At this time, we're going to focus our attention on the crucifixion of Jesus. The fact that he loved us so much. He thought we were so good. He thought we were so worthy of his love that he laid down his own life 
for us. That he took his body with its brain, with its skin that could be torn, with the nerve endings that experience pain, and he submitted himself to a death on the cross. We're going to say, wow, that's amazing love that Jesus showed for us. And as we take communion together this morning, make your way to your, um, your juice cup and your bread. I want you to pay attention to how much of our, our worship that we do happens involving our bodies. Again, in case we think that faith is something you think, it doesn't have anything to do with your, your human body, think again. Think about your five senses when we come in to gather to worship. We use our voices to sing the truths of Jesus, to declare that in Christ alone my hope is found. He is my, my light, my strength, my song. We uh, use our, our fingers and, and our eyes to navigate our way to opening these communion cups. We touch the bread. It feels dry. Crack it. We hear that it's crunchy. We put it in our mouths. We taste. It doesn't taste all that salty. This bread's not super flavorful, but it reminds us of the body of Jesus on the cross. We peel open our grape juice cups. We taste. One of my favorite parts of every Sunday morning is when I hit, get that hit of grape juice, and it's sweet. So sweet. I just remember that the scripture. And I'm reminded the victory of Jesus over sin and death is such a sweet victory. And that hits your tongue, your body's involved. It goes down into your stomach, and that's what it's made for. This is how God designed us. The bodies are uh, conduits for God to teach us something about who he is and who we are in his sight. So, at this time, I'm going to say a prayer of thanks for Jesus, for the cross, for the empty tomb, for our bodies. Uh, and then I'm going to invite you to take the bread, drink the juice, and the praise team is going to come back up here and they're going to lead us in the song In Christ Alone, which reminds us the humanity of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus, and the victory of Jesus. Let's give thanks together. Lord God, we thank you this morning for this reminder of uh, how you made us and how our faith takes shape because of our bodies. Sometimes we wish our bodies would work a little better than they do, but we thank you for the experience that we have of this life. It is so good in so many ways. Help us to use our bodies to honor you. Lord, as we think about ways that we use our bodies that don't honor you, um, we pray for forgiveness. We pray for transformation. We pray that you shine your light into the dark places of our hearts and that you change our perspective. You change us and uh, make us more and more like Jesus. We're thankful for his life. for the way he treated people, for the things he taught. For the fact that he knows what it's like to have a, a cramp in your leg. Because he walked, and he talked, and he taught, and he hugged, and he sang, and he drank, and he loved, and he was arrested, and he was hung on a cross. But we celebrate that because we know that it points to a resurrection. And it gives us hope for our own resurrection someday. And so we say, Lord, increase our faith and our hope that you will take care of us the way that you took care of your son, Jesus. We give you praise and thanks as we remember him this morning. In his holy name, amen.
go ahead and take the bread, drink the juice together now, and our singers are going to come up and help us uh, sing this last song together. <laughs>